Hey, you are tuned into the Bold Church podcast. My name is Yasmin Ruhi. I am one of the lead pastors here. We're so excited that you can join us for today's talk. We hope it blesses you. We hope it encourages you. And if you find it useful, go ahead and send it to someone else whose day you can bless. If you want to join us, we meet live every Sunday morning. If you want to find out our times or where we're meeting, head to our website at bold.church or head to our Instagram at boldchurch. SV. Thank you so much and enjoy today's talk. Let's go. Come on. Who is excited for church today? Come on. If we haven't met, my name is Ali. In a, in a week, we turned six, which is crazy to me. When I didn't even think we would survive COVID, and we, would, we survived two more years at five o'clock, and then in January of this year, we moved into this building and we were just growing like crazy. Can we just give it up for God real quick? Come on. Let me recast the vision of uh, 10 years ago when I was about 30 years old. God wrecked me in a restaurant. He said, when are you going to help me rescue my lost kids? And that's the vision of this church. We're, it's, yes, you're going to come. You're going to get fed. You're going to learn the word of God. But this church exists for unchurched people. And so one of the things that we're doing is we are uh, praying first. We're on day 14 of 21 days of prayer that God will break our heart for the things that breaks his God weeps. God longs to bring his lost kids home. Amen. Uh, and uh, this Wednesday, I want to tell you, it's our prayer and worship night. Now we have a building. We can do whatever we want. So come Wednesday. Child care is provided. 7 to 8.30. It's going to be amazing. Anybody excited for groups are coming up in a couple of weeks. Come on. Uh, if you have ever led a group or you want to lead a group, we have a town hall every three or four months. Today, 15 minutes after service, we have a town hall. It's on, it's on the screen. Uh, for those that are, that are interested in leading, what is, who is it? Why do we do groups the way that we do? And are you guys excited for God's word today? Come on. Come on. We are concluding a collection of talks I didn't tell you we were preaching on. Because if I told you we were preaching on money, you wouldn't show up. So every week I did a sneakeroo and preached on something you didn't expect. And we're concluding that collection of talks. And usually... At the end of a collection of talks where a pastor preaches on money for three weeks, at the end of it, most of you are like, oh my gosh, here it comes, the offering. Let me help you relax. There's no offering. We're not asking for anything. If anything, this is a collection of talks that we want something for you, not something from you. And uh, believe me when I say that, we want freedom for you. And maybe one of the reasons why you are afraid when churches talk about money, because you watch TV, you see that guy, I'm not going to mention any names, he got a $60 million jet, trying to fatten his pocket. If you send him $5.99, he's going to send you a handkerchief that if you put on your wallet for an additional $5.99, if you take it off at 1201, it will give you a double blessing. I have the same job as that guy. So often when I say the same things he does, I'm assumed to be guilty trying to line my pockets. Let me give you two reasons why that's not true. Number one, I drive a Corolla. Come on. <laughs> You're wrong. Number two, for a church our size, our typical staff costs are 50%. We are 15 to 20% lower than the average church because we got an amazing dream team. Anybody on the dream team? Come on. <laughs> Out of the gratitude of their heart, they help set up everything. The teamwork makes the dream work. Because our tribe has a? We are a loud church. And they're the ones, they're the engine of this church. But often it's not just the fear of an offering or the fear of the pastor trying to line his pockets. It's just simply bad teaching. And there's two types of bad teaching. There's the prosperity gospel and then the poverty gospel. The prosperity gospel says if you love Jesus, you'll never get sick. 
And if you really love him, you'll never be poor either. Which is weird because Jesus' parents, when they brought baby Jesus to the temple, the, the Old Testament said you got to bring an offering of a lamb. Do you know what Jesus' mom brought? A pigeon. The offering of what poor people. Are you telling me that Jesus, the mother of Jesus, Mary, was not loving Jesus? Your theology is broken if you believe that. And so often what we, we, we project is, uh, I need to give to get. No, no, no. You give out of the gratitude of your heart because I already have. And then there's the, the poverty gospel. Well, my pastor, he needs to be poor. He needs to have holes in his shoes because we've got to keep him holy. <laughs> it's a dad joke right there. It's <laughs> a dad joke right there. Which is crazy because Jesus, if you read the scriptures, wore a coat of many colors. It was so valuable. It was so precious. It was so desirable that when they crucified him, they gambled who would get it. Destroying that theology. Listen, there are some scriptures you can't even obey unless you have extra, more than just to pay the bills. Look at this verse in Matthew 28, verse 19. It says this. It says, therefore, go. Someone say, Go. And make disciples of all nations. How are you to plant churches? How are you to go to that country and that? How are you to start ministries, send missions, unless you have extra to reach people who are unchurched? You, you, the Bible says we're called to be the head and not the tail. We're called to be above and not beneath. The scripture says that when you follow Jesus, you will lend to many nations. You can't even do that unless you have more than enough. Amen? And that's what this collection of the talks is all about. It's not about an offering. It's not about getting your pastor a Tesla, by the way. It's about this. Money management matters to God. If you took all of the teachings that Jesus taught on, one in four sermons, 25% was about money. The second most frequently subject Jesus preached on was hell. The two things the church never teaches on, money and hell, are the two things Jesus taught on the most. That's why I didn't tell you we're teaching on money, because if I did, you wouldn't come. That's why next year we're going to have a three-week series on hell. When, Pastor Ali? I ain't telling you. Because you won't come. But money matters to Jesus. Look what it says in Matthew uh, 22. It says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. Someone say heart. All your soul and all your mind. Jesus is trying to tell you, don't just love me with your words. Love me with your life. Anyone can say, I love this. I love that. Jesus wrote, I wrote like this. Show me your Venmo and I'll show you your values. Some of you say you love Jesus, but you actually love Lululemon. And imagine in this exercise, if, if we had to write an obituary for you while you're still alive, and the only thing we could use was your credit card statement. What would it say that you actually love? And I saw some of you getting uncomfortable. That's okay. That's what Jesus does, by the way. That's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, it says, where your treasure is, there, this is the amplified version, there your heart, and the heart is your wishes, your desires, that on which your life centers will also be. Jesus wants us to have our life centered on him, but the problem is most of us have our life centered on money. Money matters to God. Not only that, money matters to us. Let me read you this quote. According to the 2002, 22, Stressed in America study, published by the American Psychological Association, Americans who say that money is a significant stress in their life is the highest since 2015. Millennials, my generation, the greatest generation ever, 80s. And Gen Z, the ones that get eighth place trophies, the most spoiled generation. 82% of us, 82% of Americans from the age of 18 to 43 say money is a significant source stress point. 
check out this next statistic. $1.6 trillion in student don't let debt in the first quarter of this year. $1.5 trillion in car loan debt in the first quarter of this year. And the first quarter of this year, we had $986 billion in credit card debt. Add that to a bear market, inflation, how, tight housing market, no wonder we are stressed. But I came to give you, if I can give you one sentence for my entire sermon is this. We are stressed about money, not because of the condition of money in our account, but the position of money in our heart. That's a good word, Pastor. I know, I'm trying. That's why Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 6, 6 24. No one can serve two masters. Someone say two masters. For either love, hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And if you were confused on what Jesus is talking about, he tells you, you cannot serve both God and money. The great theologian and philosopher, Snoop Doggy Dogg, says, I got my mind on my money. I got my money on my mind. He's just quoting Jesus, by the way. And often we, we claim to love Jesus. We want to follow him. But every decision in our life shows that money is higher than God. Let me, let me prove it to you. Some of you, instead of consulting God in prayer, what should I do with my life? You consulted Google. What's the highest salary? And then you spent four years getting a degree for paper, not purpose. Money, not meaning. You made a financial decision, not a godly decision. Some of you, you've moved your entire family, not because there was a great church there that would build it up, but because there's, the cost of living was lower there. And you didn't make a, a, a spiritual decision, you made a financial decision. If I can get a little bit deeper in your business today. Some of you date and marry people, not on the content of their character, but the carrot that can buy the ring for you. It doesn't even matter if they love God or they treat you right. It doesn't, it, it, it's about, do they have a 401k? Trying to help all the poor brothers out this morning. If you love Jesus, that's what matters to God. That's what matters to God. And I'm not trying to offer you get rich quick. I want to offer you freedom. Because our culture will celebrate being rich. The scriptures will celebrate being free. And there's a difference. When you're rich, you'll have the best car in the neighborhood. When you're free, even when it breaks down, you sleep good at night because you know you can pay it off. When you're rich, you'll buy the best bottle of wine at the restaurant. When you're free, you can take your wife out to dinner and not worry if your kids are going to eat the next day. There's a difference between rich and free. And I've told this story before, but before my wife and I started this church, I was a software engineer. And I don't say this to brag. I I, I just communicate this. I made 20 grand a month as an engineer. It was crazy, the amount of money that the tech industry was giving me. I haven't even talked about what my wife was doing. My wife was a professional wedding photographer. I would make five grand a week. She would make five grand a day just doing weddings. I was like, I'm in the wrong business. I got to work 40 hours. I got to sit in traffic for 10. You go to a wedding, come back on Saturday, relax the whole week. But there's a difference between rich and free. Because when God told us to start this church, we gave up everything. We sold our home. We, we sacrificed our careers. Why? Because we were free to follow the will of God in our life. And I promise you this room is full of people who feel this desire to serve God. And you can't do it because you can't afford to. And I wrote it like this. Money has bound you to a destiny God never did. You're rich, but you're not free. The title of my sermon is simply this. God wants to help you be forever free. Someone say forever free. 
If I can encapsulate this teaching in one word, it is simply this. It's on your screen. You want to write this down. Stewardship. Someone say stewardship. Stewardship is simply this idea. How do you manage what's been given to you? In stewardship, there are three principles I want to give you this morning. Principle number one is this, the principle of ownership. Somebody shout ownership. Ownership says this, that everything that you have comes from God. It actually belongs to him. You're just managing what belongs to him. You're not the owner. He's the owner. You're the manager. Your Pokemon collection, your Funko collection. Some of you nerds, you collect crazy things like, like I don't know, stuffed animals and all of that. Your, your gym, all of it, your golf collect, all of it belongs to God. And it comes from this verse, Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything. Someone say everything. And everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And when you have this mindset that whatever's in my hands, it's not mine, but it's his, it's, it frees you. Because that's the purpose of the sermon. I'm not trying to help you get rich. I'm trying to get free. Amen? You want freedom? Let me ask you again. Do you want freedom? When you adopt this principle, it frees you from anxiety. Frees you from anxiety. A couple years ago, my daughter, she's four now, but she was two. And we were at a neighbor's house, a relative's house. And she had never seen a tennis ball before. And it wasn't a, a green one that's kind of like bland. It was a pink tennis ball. So she was all about it. And she knew it wasn't hers. And so she's playing with it. And at the end of the night, the, the relative of her house, she tried to grab the ball from my daughter. And my daughter pulled it in. And then she gave me this look like, I don't want to be the bad guy. Can you get my ball back? And so I go over to my daughter. And we're playing like tug of war, like, right? And I'm looking. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, and I pluck it out of her hands. And then she cusses at me. And I look at my wife, and she looks at me, and our jaws are open. I'm like, this is your daughter. This is not my daughter. This is your daughter. You know what she said? She said, this is mine. She said a four-letter cuss word. This is mine. She thought because it was in our hands, it belonged to her. Can I help you? Just because your credit card's in your hand doesn't mean it belongs to you. And if I can tell you, mine is actually a cuss word to God. Because just because it's you hold it doesn't mean you own it. Stewardship. Because what you got to do is you got to hold your hand like this, not like this. And when I pulled it out of my daughter's hand, you know what she did? She didn't say, oh, thank you for the three hours you gave me with that tennis ball. She <laughs> rolled on the ground as if she was on fire, <laughs> crying about what she didn't have. I wonder how many you cry at night when God takes something out of your hand. Because if you have this mindset, this is on the screen, when I have the understanding of who owns it, the anxiety of losing it is replaced by the gratitude of ever having it. See, children cry when something's taken from them. Mature adults, they're gratitude. they have gratitude. Which one are you? Let me apply this principle to your marriage for a moment. Let's say my wife and I, in 11 days, we celebrate 10 years of marriage. Can't wait. Can't wait. Imagine, God forbid, but imagine I die. Right? Pastor is going to be depressed. She's never going to marry again. I'm looking for her. Hey, hey. Just kidding, by the way. But after she got over the sadness, she wouldn't be angry that she didn't get 30 years. She'd be grateful for the 10 that she had. Because that's what mature people do. They're grateful for what they have, not having anxiety over what they didn't have. And see, when my daughter, when I pulled the ball from her hand, 
She, she thought this was the only ball in the world because she had a limited mindset. She didn't know her father could buy a bag from Target for $10.99. <laughs> and some of you in this room, you, the moment you lost that job, you've been depressed. The moment you lost that house, you've never been the same. The moment you lost that promotion, you think this is the only ball in the world. And I'm here to tell you, if I could put it on the screen, Psalm 50, verse 10. It says, every beast, someone say every beast of the forest is mine. The only one who can say this is mine is Jesus, by the way. The, ca- the cattle on a thousand hills. You know what that means? This is not a, a thousand cattle on one hill. This is 10,000 or 100,000 cattle on one hill. God owns a thousand of those hills. The point is it's innumerable. Your understanding of God, he's, just because you feel limited doesn't mean he's limited. And I came to tell you, just because you lost that job, that business during COVID, oh, that was a godly business. Who gave you the idea? Who gave you the wherewithal? Who gave you the business skills? If he gave it to you once, he can give it to you again. Hope someone catches it. Some of you, you, you lost a job, and you've never had that job that you once had. They, they gave you benefits. They paid for your retirement. You were four vacations a year. Now you're living paycheck to paycheck. You're like, ah, oh, I'll never have a job. God gave you it once. He can do it again. Someone catch this ball. But it's not just money. It's not just money and, and buildings. We do it with people. Oh, Pastor Ali, there was this girl I was dating. She, I think she was the one. We broke up. I'll, I'll never. Let me sin. I know the person who makes persons. Okay? You, you and I will sing songs, Waymaker. We got to sing People Maker. If he brought her once, he can do it again. The, the limit is not children cry because they think it's theirs. Adults are grateful. Adults are grateful. Principle number two, when you have this mindset, it will set you free. It's a principle of responsibility and reward. And there are two negative views. The first negative view is this, that when you care too much and you go, this is mine. The opposite negative view is, it's not mine, I'm going to treat it like like it's crap. I'm not going to take care of it. And the reality is, you got to have an open hand and a mentality, I have to give back what was given to me. I have to give an account for what was, I got I, I take care of it. And it comes from Jesus saying this in Matthew 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Whose property? His property. One, he gave five. Someone say five talents. To another, two. Someone say two. To another, one. Someone say one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. Now, after a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used whose money? His money. You got to understand, often when we read this verse, we read it from Western eyes. Oh, my gosh, it's so unfair. One got five. One got privilege. (laughs) Excuse me while I puke. The point is not that God has to be fair. The point is that he gave everyone something. And when you have this mindset, you don't compare of the Tesla you don't have. You give God thanks for the Corolla you do have. Because the principle of stewardship does this. It frees you from excuses. I I don't come from wealth, Pastor Ali. My my parents didn't give me an inheritance. If I had a million dollars, I'd. But you don't. So stop making excuses. 
What do you have? God does not go to the 10 and go, oh my gosh, why don't you have 100? He doesn't go to the 1 and say, why don't you have 5? He goes to the 1 and says, what did you do with the small one that I gave you? Did you maximize it? Because that doesn't belong to you. That belongs to me. And often we have this weird mentality that we have one in our hands. And instead of doing something with it, we complain we don't have five and ten. I wrote it like this. It's your responsibility for what you, you are not responsible for what you don't have. You're responsible for what you do have. Show of hands. Anyone in here have five dollars? Anyone in here have five dollars? Half of you are lying. If you don't have five dollars, come talk to me after church. I'll give you five dollars. Every hand should go up right now. What are you doing with that $5? Are you investing it? Are you putting it in a 401k? Pastor Ali, it's only $5. Well, wasn't $5 when you bought Starbucks the other day? Wasn't $5 when you did it like three or four times? And that was the conviction that God gave me during COVID. My wife and I, the only time we ever left our home was we either walked to a coffee shop uh, either alone or with the kids. And that's like the one time we get out of the house, away from screens, away from Zoom, wanted to puke during Zoom that whole season. And I was blown away at how much I would complain in my heart about what I didn't have and how poorly I was spending the money I did have. And I remember that was the question. I remember saying, God, I don't have. He goes, what do you have? I go, I got $5, God. He's like, what are you doing with that $5? I'm like, Isn't... you're right. And, and from 2021, every, not that, I'm not doing this to brag about my wife or compare myself to her. But instead of complaining about what I didn't have, every time my wife went and got coffee, I'd say, you know what, I'm going to invest. I got $2,500. And the point I make is not that I could have all that coffee. The point is, why would God give you $25 million or $25,000 when you're not even faithful with five? Then you go a little bit deeper. Have you ever rented a car before? Anyone ever rented a car before? Anyone ever rent a car and you don't get insurance? Oh, you drive that car like it's a the Bentley going 55 and a 65. Got 20 car gap in front of you. And then when you're in the parking lot, you're in the back corner a million miles from everyone. And then you ever rent a car and you get insurance? You become Grand Theft Auto. You're doing donuts in the parking lot in front of Hertz. Showing up with three wheels, throwing the keys on the counter. I got insurance. <laughs> Why? Because in one, you're not the steward, and the other, you are. And some of you drive your life like you got insurance. And stewardship teaches you there is no life insurance. I'm gonna, let me make it clear like this. We have eternal assurance. We do not have eternal insurance. Let me hit this home for a moment. The only reason why I say we have assurance is means you're not going to heaven because you're good. We're going to heaven because Jesus is good. If you're new to church and wondering what is Christianity all about, Christianity is the person next to you is probably the most evil person in the room. <laughs> Welcome. We've got a room full of jacked up people. You're at home at this church. Pastors jacked up. You're, everybody's, only people are jacked up are people who, who claim they're not sinful. And the Bible does not make bad people good. He makes dead people come alive. It's not morality. It's about forgiveness. And the reason I have assurance, someone say assurance. Because I'm not going because of my good works, but Jesus works for me. Amen. He's the one that died. He was the one that's sinless. He did all the work so I can go to heaven. When I go to heaven, he goes, why are you? You're a Raiders fan. How are you going to get in? 
and you can say Jesus. If you study the book of Revelations, if you study the book of Revelations, 11, 13, and 18, demons come out of lakes. And somehow we got a room full of Laker fans worshiping some false theology up in the house. And the blood of Jesus covers you too. You have assurance, even though you're ratchet, the blood of Jesus makes you righteous. That's some good teaching right there. But assurance is not the same as insurance. See, some of you have this life and you live it the way you want. You crash it, you date whoever you want, you get any job you want, and God's like, I gave you this life, and why did you crash it? I gave you this gift to sing and you never got on the worship team. I gave you this gift to build businesses and you never once gave to build the house of God. I gave you that smile, that joy in your heart. You never stood outside greeting people who were far from God. What did you do? And you can't say, I got insurance. Because stewardship teaches we don't. What did you do with the life that God gave you? Because it's not your life. He paid for it. You may be going to heaven with assurance, but please don't crash your life with insurance. Does that make sense? And there's one other person in the room that I need to speak to. And you're probably like me. I was the only man in my family that became a Christian until I led my father, who was 81 in the faith, two years ago to receive Christ. But when I became a Christian at 24, yeah, you can, which is crazy because this was the church he didn't want me to start and got saved in the church he didn't want to start. So that's the way God works. He always gets the last laugh. But no one ever taught me stewardship growing up. No one gave me an inheritance, and I could be like, oh, I didn't have, I didn't have. And one day, my pastor sat me down, and he gave me this book. This is like the Jesus version of an accountant. His name is Dave Ramsey. If you don't know who this dude is, he is the CPA in Christianity. And he gave me this book and said, you can make excuses, or you can be a good steward. This book changed my life. And I believe there's a room full of people that maybe your dad didn't teach you. Maybe he never modeled to you what stewardship is. You know that the, the Bible says that a godly father leaves his children riches and inheritance. See, in our culture, we go, you got to buy your own house. Biblical parents buy, help buy their children a home. That's what the scriptures teach. But maybe you didn't have that. Let me help remove this excuse. Our church wants to help some people get free. That's why I'm saying we don't want anything from you. We want something from you. But... And I like big butts, and I cannot lie. <laughs> if you want that book, you have to come to Pastor Yasmin and I. You have to say, hey, I'm not good with money. I want godly wisdom. Because God gives grace to the humble. And if you want your life, that book will change not just your life, but your children's life and your grandchildren's life. It will change your legacy. Because God doesn't want to help you get He wants to be free. Someone say forever free. Third principle is the principle of the tithe. The principle of the tithe. And this is the principle that is the craziest of the three. This is the principle that makes the least amount of sense and will require the, the greatest amount of faith. This is the one when you sit down and do the math, it, it, no. The, the others you can agree with, yeah, God owns it, I don't. Yes, it, I have to give it back to him. This is the one that will be the most challenging and will be the, the greatest level of fear that you need to overcome with faith. And I've been pastoring for over a decade now. I can tell you, if you can do this, you can do anything. 
Because the amount of faith it takes to do this will allow you to do anything in Christianity. And the principle of the tithe is really just this, giving God the first 10% of your income to God through the local church. You're never giving to the church. Let me break that mindset. You're never tithing to bold. You're tithing to Jesus through bold. Which is why when if you leave bold, you're still tithing to God. It had nothing to do with bold. You're just doing it through this local church. And, and let, let, let's break it down even more. Imagine I get $1,000 a month. I pay my taxes. I pay AT&T, Hulu, Peacock, ESPN Plus, Disney, all the pluses. <laughs> what, all 19 of the subscriptions we don't need. And then I pay my AT&T, my car, and then I got a little bit left over. And let's say that's 100 bucks. I go, oh, tithe. No, that's, that's, that's after. The tithe is the first 10%. Because the first one takes faith, not the last one. That's why Jesus says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. And it takes faith to go, man, I got to pay, I got to return to God before I live off the rest. It takes faith to believe that God and 90% is better than no God and 100%. And that's why Jesus says in, or in the scriptures, 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, do you want to be truly rich? You already are if you're happy and good. After all, we didn't bring any money with us when we came to the world and we can't carry away a single penny when we die. So we should be well satisfied without money if we have enough food and clothing. Remember, Jesus is talking about freedom. First Timothy 6 verse 9 says, But people who long to be rich soon begin to do all kinds of wrong things to get money. Things that hurt them and make them evil-minded and finally send them to hell itself. I told you two things that Jesus talks about the most. Money and hell. Verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. See, our culture in America, we hate the 1%. Oh, those ultra-wealthy people, they're evil. Let me tell you, some of the most ratchet, evil people are poor people that I know. Because it's not about being rich or poor. It's about being righteous and unrighteous. And you could be poor and unrighteous. And you could be poor and righteous. How do I know? Jesus' parents were poor. And I can tell you, you can be rich and evil and rich and godly. There's a man, he's, he's the CEO of Intel. His name is Pat Gelsinger. He's got $10 billion to his name. One of the most godly people I know. Do you know how I know? He gives away 90%. He tithes to God 90% and he keeps 10 Because it's not about money. Money doesn't make you evil. Money's a tool. It's your heart that does that. That's why when you focus on budgets and external things and apps, it does not fix the problem. I said this last week, I'll say it again. Budgeting will, will get your house in order. Tithing gets your heart in order. That's why every principle frees you from something. The principle of ownership frees you from anxiety. The principle of rewards and excuses. And, and, and responsibility frees you from excuses. The principle of the tithe, I wrote like this, frees you from the love of money. That's what it does. It breaks that, that love that we all have. And you don't pray your way out of that love. You give your way out of that love. That's why Deuteronomy 14, verse 23, it says this. The purpose of the tithe is to teach you to put God First, someone say first, 
in your life. In your life. Malachi 3.10. I want to do something we've never done before as a church. It says, bring the whole tithe. Someone say whole tithe. Into the storehouse. This is the local church. But there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And that's the only time in the entire Bible God says, test me. And we're going to test him today. We're going to do something we've never done. I'm going to, between today, which is September 17th to December 15th, we're going to do a tithe challenge. Anyone who fills out a connect card and puts the tithe challenge at the top, anytime during those 90 days, you want your money back, without any questions asked, we'll do it. I'm so confident God won't let you down. Put him to the test. Watch what he does. We don't want anything from you. We want something for you. And the greatest thing holding you back is in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It says this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I believe there are people in this room that you're rich, but you're not free. And God doesn't want money from you. He sent his son Jesus from heaven to die on a cross. Look at the worship team to come up. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to help you be free. Because there's something better than being rich. It's free. He wants you to follow him. Not because that path leads to more money. He wants you to follow him because that path leads to more joy. And you are bound to a destiny God never had for you. Every eye closed and every head bowed. I want to pray. God, I, God, I want to pray for every person in this room. Lord, I just thank you, Jesus, for the teaching, God, of stewardship. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of stewardship that everything we have belongs to you. And it frees us from anxiety, God. Thank you, Jesus, for the, the gift, God, of rewards and responsibility. That everything, God, that we own, that one day we have to give it back to you. We have to give an account. What did we do with what we were given? God, I pray, Lord, that we realize that the principle of stewardship, we give not to get, but to be set free. It's the act of faith that allows us to put you first in our hearts. We can say we love you with our lips, God, but it's our bank account that shows it. Pray for every person in this room who struggles with money, who thinks they have a money problem, God, show them that they have a stewardship problem. They don't need more. They just need to manage what they have been given. Thank you, God, that you are so gracious. You're so patient. Such a faithful God. That you lead us into repentance with your goodness and kindness. God, thank you that you don't get angry when we cry, when you take things away. 
God, I pray for every person in this church who calls bold home, that you'd help us, God, be good stewards, good managers, not with what belongs to us, God, but what belongs to you. I just feel led to pray for some of you in this room. I want to explain the gospel. God didn't come so that he can get your money. God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for you. Christianity's yes, it may change you, but your morality is not what saves you. God did not send his son so that you can be a better version of yourself, but you can be a forgiven person. And the gospel is that God is holy and good and righteous, and all of us fall short. And the solution is not doing good things so that God will be pleased with us. There was no way for us to reach God, so God came to earth. We're so bad that God had to come. We're so bad that he had to die on a cross for us, but we're so loved that he was willing to do it. And salvation is not achieved, it's received. And the work is simply to believe. And there's some of you in this room, you just feel this tug on your heart. That God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And you're feeling this longing. You don't even know what it is. It's the presence of God in this room. God's real. He's not a person to be studied. He's a person to be experienced. Christianity is less about religion and more about relationship with the living God. And that God's the one who's talking to you. And he sent his son Jesus to die for you. To pay for your penalty of sin. And if you want to receive Christ's salvation, it's free. It's an eternal assurance. And the only thing you need to do is to simply believe in the finished work of Jesus on a cross with every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you this morning and you want to pray to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time. I want to count to three. I want you to raise your hand. You're not raising it for me. You're not raising it for this church. You're raising it because Jesus is talking to you. One, two, three. If that's you, just raise your hand. Raise your hand. Amen. Amen. I see your hand. I see your hand. Just pray this prayer out loud, everyone. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven for me, for living a sinless life that I never could have lived. And then thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place. Thank you for paying for all my dumb mistakes, sinful mistakes. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for forgiveness. I repent. I turn from my sin. And I want to follow you. God, help me be a steward of the things you've given me. Help me realize they're not mine. They all belong to you. God, as much as I understand now, I want to follow you all the days of my life. And everybody said, 
Hey, thank you so much for listening today. If you want to follow us on social media and just stay up to our current events, our social media handle is Bold Church SV. That's Bold Church SV for Silicon Valley. We hope you stay blessed and we'll see you soon. Thank you.